0: I do give myself a lot of credit for being libertarian minded before I even knew what libertarian was, because I don't see how you can start homeschooling without that. An idea whose time has come cannot be stopped by any army or any government.
1: The Younger and Winful podcast starts now. This is Howard Gratton, and welcome to the Honor and Ron Paul podcast, and with us today I have Laura Blodgett, who has been uh, had a a wide variety of interests, and she documents uh, all of them in wonderful blogs and uh, uh, audiobooks, and is just a great resource on uh, all the wonderful aspects of life, and she also happens to be a libertarian. And that's how we ran across each other through some mutual uh, Libertarian fan pages. Uh, so welcome, Laura.
0: Hi, nice to be here.
1: So, Laura, tell me a little bit about your background and uh, your decision to homeschool.
0: I think to to decide to not be part of the government system, that you just have an undercurrent in your thinking that's like, I don't need them. <laughs> right. Um, and there was always um, – my, my upbringing was very apolitical. I honestly do not remember my parents ever having a political conversation at, at the home or with any of us. It, um, it's kind of astonishing to think about now because I think it's actually something important. Don't get me wrong. My parents were great on, mm-hmm. on many, many levels. But I think there, it left me um, adrift and confused And there was maybe some assumption that, you know, be patriotic a little bit. But even with that, there wasn't anything overt. Um, But as soon as I became aware of, quote unquote, the duty to vote and things like that, I just remember being in a constant state of confusion. Like, I am trying. Is anybody else noticing this doesn't work? (laughs) You know, does anybody else notice that there's always fighting and there's always corruption? But I wasn't in circles where people were talking about that. So I I didn't have anything to hang those thoughts on, if that makes sense.
1: Right. Um, Yeah.
0: And then, amazingly enough, um, so in in my search for interesting (laughs) books to read, I just happened, by the grace of God, um, upon Thomas Sowell's book, the Quest for Cosmic Justice, mm. and that was really my portal to all of this, because it it just um, grabbed all of my thoughts in this little book, and I was like, yeah, 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 you know, just the constant, and it's, I don't know if you've ever read it, it's a very thin little book, and I guess galvanized is the word I was, you know, galvanized mm. so many of my thoughts, and then when I, um, after I had read that, I thought I need more of this author, and um, still had our three youngest kids at home, and always read an informational book to them during our lunchtime reading time, and so I read to them Basic Economics by Thomas Sowell.
1: And <laughs> what what age?
0: Um, well, they were um like twelve, thirteen, and fifteen.
1: Oh, oh, okay. I was, yeah. I was thinking like yeah, cuz running around. No, because
0: I, I, although oh, yeah, that, I read mm. all levels of books because I have an age span of 13 years between my seven kids. And so I tried to alternate between things at different levels for these common reading times. And it's always amazing how much the, the different age groups get from something you think maybe isn't uh, directed at them mm-hmm. and what they yeah. understand. So we went through that um, for a few months because I usually, for something that's that thick in in concepts and new, um, we would read, I don't know, three, four pages and discuss a lot of it. And that was right after that, my oldest daughter married a fellow who, at the time, we didn't know he was a libertarian anarchist, um, and but he's very... He's a very good conversationalist. Like, he just listens. He's like, well, you know, you might like this or you might like that. He's not, you know, not like evangelist, um, confrontational, evangelistic,
1: confrontational
0: right. or evangelistic kind of thing. He was really pleasant to talk to.
1: Never called you a statist.
0: <laughs> no, no, he did So he said, you know, I think you might be interested in two websites that I know about. I think you might be interested in fee.org and lurockwell.com. Mm. And so I think the first article I read on there was by Tom Woods on lewrockwell.com. And I immediately ended up subscribing. I, I was like in his first 200 subscribers on on the podcast um, and in the Tom Woods Elite group. And from there, just everything opened up. And I understood why I'd been confused about so many things. And I understood what I believed in ways that i could now express
1: right that's interesting and i mean uh in some ways confusion is better than you know dogmatic you know a dogmatic approach to what you think is the truth and that's been propagandized to you so it sounds like you had a very open mind um because fairly apolitical that's interesting you mentioned that you had homeschooled seven kids I have two, and they're age seven and nine, and that seems like a lot. <laughs> How did you do seven?
0: <laughs> well, one of my standard responses that I developed over the years was to simply point people to the uh, size of the standard classroom, and then teaching seven kids seems small in comparison.
1: Yeah, that's a very good point. You have a web page called Fun Fitness After 50, so that gives people a little bit of an estimate of your age, but I don't want to... Uh,
0: uh, I, I'm going to be 59. I'm going to be okay. 59 in April. I, I um, Oh, what was the word? I own my age. I'm proud of my age. I've oh, come good. this far.
1: But I, I I wanted to mention that because um, uh, you were homeschooling back in the day when it was much more difficult. What, what were some of the rules back then that you had to deal with?
0: Well, actually... We moved to Idaho um, mostly to be by my family and sort of, um, by luck you might say, found ourselves in a state where there were very few rules, um, well, basically none, except that you... Educate your children in a way that is commonly construed as education. Um, I might just add that it was not always that way in Idaho. I don't remember the exact year. I believe the family's name was Shipley. But when I started homeschooling in Idaho, that was still a fairly fresh thing where the state of Idaho had taken this family's children and there had been a major court battle. Mm. And it was because of these people that... Idaho had ended up with such good laws and such a hands-off approach to parents teaching their own children.
1: Hmm. So did you uh, start right off homeschooling or did your kids go into traditional school for a while and then you pulled them out?
0: I'm ashamed to say that I put my oldest daughter in Uh, daycare while I was in nursing school for a couple of years and although I'm delighted to be a nurse and I have used that education um, whenever I hear of young parents young moms in particular because they're generally the caretakers um, trying to make those choices and trying to think you know I want to do something quote-unquote more meaningful with my life I try to gently tell them my story and say you know what? It's really, really hard on the family, and you have to overcome some of what is lost in in your bonding and your relationship with your child when you leave them for a while.
1: Hmm. And so after, um, and then did you just, uh, after you finished nursing school, um, uh, nurses can potentially have a fairly flexible schedule. Were you able to continue to work and homeschool, or how did that go?
0: Well, I worked part time. And again, we were young and stupid and thinking that we could, you know, bend the clock to all hours to, you know, function any way we wanted. I worked swing shift and my husband worked day shift. And so we never saw each other, Mm. (laughs) but the kids got to be with their parents, um, except for a couple of hours, a couple of days a week, they had a babysitter during the overlap time. Mm-hmm. but um that was one of the things with moving to idaho that i greatly appreciated was that we evaluated all of that and i decided to be a stay-at-home mom
1: oh that's wonderful and um so uh you had uh, mentioned getting into thomas soul uh and i've uh, unfortunately only read one book of his and that was um Mm -hmm. Uh, black rednecks and white liberals
0: yes i've read that one that's very good
1: yeah a kind of a a compilation of several uh long-form essays that uh wow really mind-blowing in regards to uh culture and race and is it is really a paradigm shift in several ways um and i just uh really uh love thomas soul's story and uh, he's still with us and still cranking out some articles. He d- doesn't have his column anymore, which was always mm-hmm. a good read.
0: Well, he's in uh, his 80s.
1: Yeah. But a real national treasure. And it's unfortunate that he isn't uh, better recognized by kind of all sides of the political spectrum for being, uh, you know, a great mind and a great writer. But, uh, you know, people see him as divisive sometimes.
0: Well, I have a a theory, and partly I do it possibly for my own um, mental well-being, as I try to encourage people that the encouragement and the amount of encouragement and influence you may have on people um, is not related to how famous you are. So, simply the fact that, I mean, he has influenced a lot of people. He doesn't need some sort of national recognition. That's very shallow.
1: Excellent point. Um tell me a little bit about uh, happyhomeschool.com um and you've posted some articles uh, that I've seen that had some really great homeschooling advice when did you start kind of documenting uh, this whole process
0: Well I started with calling it the happylibertarian.com I I actually had some hesitancy to put myself out there as like I could offer a lot to people as far as homeschooling. I I didn't want to be presumptuous. Um, But then as my kids got to be adults, and um, particularly um, one of my son-in-laws that I've known the longest time, a number of times he would say to me, Mom, you really need to get out there and tell people how you did this. Because he says, you did a really good job as basically a summary of what he says he's um and and people need to hear this and I'm like no I don't know whatever and so finally he convinced me and I was just ready it just it just seemed like time and so I actually only started the specific website the happy homeschool a few months ago Hmm. um and I guess one reason it made sense is because so many of the things I was writing on the happy libertarian did have to do with with homeschooling (laughs) after all it's like okay (laughs)
1: That's excellent. Uh, So uh, my kids are seven and nine. um, And uh, at this point, we're fairly free form. We're not following any specific um, uh, program as of yet. We have a lot of influence with uh, kind of unschooling uh, type mentality for the early years. Um, What uh, what advice would you give us as we start kind of moving into their more I guess I kind of see their their early teens and tweens as that kind of transition phase of where their brains really start coming on board and being able to suck in a lot of information and, and make a lot of interesting rational choices. Uh, did you notice... Uh, how, how did... Well, I don't know how to ask this question, but like um, uh, the uh, arc of... of your uh, homeschooling as you're doing seven kids at once, all different age ranges. Did you have a specific program for each kid that was um, kind of store-bought? Or did you craft your own, or how did you go about all that?
0: Let me see if I can start someplace to kind of make it a, a clear and not too complicated answer. I think, especially in the first wave of homeschooling, which I think I was pretty much a part of, Um, It was more normal for people to think they needed a curriculum to feel like I have to have those kinds of guidelines to be able to do anything. Um, So I tried that. But very quickly, I recognized that that killed my kids motivation and love for learning. And it also was a huge time suck. It was like a lot of busy work and. So over the years, I tended to get more free and more um, designer education, as you will. Um, and even when I did use certain resources and programs, I learned how to read what my kids' needs were with them. I There are a number of programs that I would get and they would say, now you have to use it this way or it won't work. And I would just laugh because <laughs> that's a ridiculous statement. For anybody who's taught anybody, you should really know that it's not about the program; it's about the child. And if you are spending that much time with your children, you know how they're going to respond, or you get a sense that something isn't working, and so you want to adjust it for them. Mm-hmm. So I, um, I never had a a complete boxed curriculum that covered all of the subjects, but I tried some textbook things for um, stuff like history and math a little bit. Overall, I would say that when we got more to around sixth or seventh grade, we started to do things like math a little bit more programmed because they were ready for it. But I still always adjusted the pace um, The way things got corrected, um, which kinds of problems they had to do, depending on how they were responding to what was being done. Um, So a curriculum, if it's ever used, I think is always – (sighs) at. it should always be viewed as a resource – To get ideas from and a resource to delve into but never something that is confining or that you are restricted to or that you have to cover in a certain amount of time it's it's not about the curriculum it's about your child
1: right yeah and um, uh, I've never uh, understood the idea of I mean it's like Some people that uh, homeschool, like they take all the bad elements of school and they just do it in their home. Yes. And so, I mean, you're missing out on all this opportunity to really kind of tailor make and have your kids enjoy reading. I mean, my uh, daughter and son, first thing they do is they hop out and they grab their guinea pigs, put them on their lap and start reading. (laughs) And they're like, you guys want breakfast? Ah, as soon as I'm done with this book. You know, it's just like. Things that I never would have done as a kid, because first thing I did, you know, pile down some oatmeal and go stand out in the freezing cold for the bus to come pick me up. Right. Uh, So very, very different uh, lives. Well,
0: (laughs) I think another thing that could be said about it, however, is that every parent, and particularly the one who is mostly in charge of the teaching or, or keeping track of what the kids are doing or, you know, guiding them, whatever you want to call it. Every parent comes into this with their own talents and personality and it's not necessarily better to do it one way or the other. I tended to be a very organized person, but my organization, I think, stimulated creativity because that's how I function. I know other moms that... um, they don't do as well trying to organize that stresses them out. So they get creativity another way, but a lot of times their results look the same because that's who they are. And that's not to say that we don't have to work on our weaknesses. I maybe had to learn to relax sometimes, and they maybe have to learn to try a little harder to say, no, kids this is really an important skill or this is really something I need you to know how to balance the checkbook, you know? <laughs> right. Um, but you can get to the same place being who you are.
1: Right. Yeah, that's excellent advice. And also, I mean, just the uh, availability to really understand your kids and see them, how they, how they learn instead of just, you know, every couple of months going to a PTA and, you know, getting an idea right. of, yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it, it adds that extra connection with the kids. It's really, that's really wonderful. Uh, you mentioned, go ahead.
0: Oh, I was just going to say, I think one of the parents' jobs as a teacher is to make the kids more interested in things that they might not be interested in for various reasons or might not be motivated to do. And one of my favorite stories that I have about that is um, teaching one of my sons to spell because I've we think that communication and as a job skill and all of that, that's important that you be able to spell right. But I didn't want to make it a huge thing. I didn't want to make it a strain, but he wasn't responding well to some of the, the fun little workbooks and all of that kind of stuff. And so I found a program. Again, it told me I had to use it a certain way, but I went, looked at it and I went, no, I'm going to do this. And all I had to do was let him take a test of the list of words First thing in the week. And the ones he got right, he didn't have to study for the rest of the week. His spelling improved by 90% overnight. Hmm. He wasn't stressed about it. It was like, well, this is a fun game. And he was learning spelling. I was getting what I thought was important. So, anyway, that's just a little side story.
1: Yeah, that's excellent. And, you know, just the ability to have that. The, those little changes, uh, everyone has such different motivations that uh, kind of move them forward. Mm-hmm. And it's always, always tricky to figure out how to get those, get that information in those kids. Yeah. Uh, both, both my wife and I are uh, pretty high achievers. Uh, and so it's, it's uh, uh, difficult to, you know, uh, allow the kids' space to uh, grow mm-hmm. um, sometimes.
0: Well, um, one of the most important things as a parent is to not hitch your own sense of self-worth or um, achievement to what they are doing, but that you are helping them to be who they are meant to be.
1: Ooh, that's good advice. Mm. <laughs> All right. I'm going to sit and let that sink in. <laughs> Uh, you, you mentioned uh, how it was fairly apolitical in your household as you were growing up, and that left you a bit adrift. As had you become political when your kids were growing up, or that? Uh, how did you handle talking about politics and uh, things like that as in the homeschooling environment?
0: Well, I tried to teach them about government, which the resources that I had uh, were mostly patriotic, I guess you might say uh, the Christian religious right sort of thing, but none of us were terribly enthused about it. So it's like, well, that's an interesting way to look at it. And I wonder if that's how it really happened. I mean, it was just all that kind of, there was, there was nothing. um, We never got a cultish kind of attitude. In fact, I guess that it could all have been, I laid the foundation for our attitude when my first two were about first grade kindergarten. And I thought, okay, what do you do in first grade? Oh, you say the Pledge of Allegiance. And I, of course, knew it by heart. And I started to say it with them. And I got about halfway through and I went, oh, um, we're not going to do that. (laughs) <laughs> and it's not nobody had ever said anything to me about it i hadn't ever heard and i mean it wasn't until years later that i heard other people talking about it and, and i was like yeah that's a really icky thing to have kids saying that and it was just something about being in the home and leading my kids in that chant that chat chant so um you could say that that was kind of our attitude towards all of that, but at the same time, trying to figure out how to learn and evaluate history mm. as the resources that we had said.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's so easy now with the with the internet. Well, I, I guess in some ways it's easy, in some ways it's it's difficult because there's so much information that's available. It's tough to parse through it. But uh, uh, so what what years then was this that you were homeschooling? So was this through the The 90s then?
0: My oldest child was born in 84. So, yeah, uh, 90s and 2000s, early 2000s.
1: So the Internet had certainly come on board, but wasn't the full-bloomed Internet? Oh, no, 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 no.
0: So in addressing the question of how I taught my kids about politics, I think that this is applicable to any subject that you're teaching them, we were investigating things together and we were trying to understand and learn. And I did have to at first kind of get over the hump of being embarrassed when I didn't know things, when my little kids asked me stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But once I got over that, there was an honesty to our interaction so that when I didn't know something or when we were trying to figure it out together, we grew together in understanding a lot of things. And so I can tell you today that even though I didn't become aware of the word libertarian until um, my youngest kids were teenagers, all of my kids are libertarian, and they identify as such, and we discuss it freely all the time now. So I don't think you have to have everything perfectly figured out about your worldview or how you define things or what actions you should take as long as you're honest about how you're evaluating them and you have some core values to work with
1: Mm -hmm. yeah it really does seem to me that libertarian would be somewhat of a default setting just you know don't hurt people and don't take their stuff right um and so in a uh, kind of uh, free or educational kind of questioning environment, uh, it seems likely that you would uh, end up with uh, that discovery of libertarianism because in some ways it doesn't make sense to kind of, okay, well now I'm going to hitch my wagon to this uh, political group versus this. It, I don't know, it just seems um, unusual. I've often thought about that as uh, once I kind of became a libertarian, I can't really. I imagine myself going back um (laughs) and uh which is kind of interesting because you know when i was kind of a republican-ish uh you know every every little every little political argument was always like you know I i was thinking of each case well what would i think about you know speed limits or what would I think about the the war on drugs? And I had to come up with my, my own little idea and nuance of each of those little tiny questions and and tended to fit more in the Republican camp. But I never really took it back to the core basics of, you know, who's getting hurt. Is that Mm -hmm. actually a crime? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, who's initiating the violence? Is that a moral and, and, And so once I kind of took it back to those core levels, like, okay, well, now all of this stuff is coming off of this tacit knowledge and off of this foundation of morality. Right. And so now all these questions are are easy. Right. I don't don't care which is, I mean, I can just, you know, I don't need to have that uh, jumbled mind space of, well, oh, I feel this way about this thing and the government can do this thing because of this other. Right. No, all that. And uh, so since it's it's down to the basics, I mean, if you're building up from a homeschooling experience that, you know, digging down to the basics and trying to understand the world, whether it's through math and reading and all this stuff, it really does seem like just naturally you would have kind of a libertarian uh, core understanding of the world. Because that seems to me, and I'm probably extremely biased, but this seems to me <laughs> that it's the natural kind of state Of uh, human interaction
0: well I think that many of my homeschool friends over the years have tended to be more patriotic but they are also the ones that when I have a conversation with they can be the easiest to make them think about a certain thing that they've been thinking about a different way Mm. because they're used to thinking
1: right yeah, that's interesting. All right, hard shift because I told you I'd take uh, just about a half hour of your time. But uh, tell me a bit about your audio book of running barefoot. I'm a, I'm a physician, um, physical medicine rehabilitation. So wow. I'm interested in how the human body moves and this idea of barefoot running has uh, come out, uh, I guess, fairly recently. I have a, a friend who... Um, back in the Midwest and not that close of a friend anymore because they're back in the Midwest, but, uh, mm-hmm. who does endurance running. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was a big advocate of the barefoot and barefoot type shoes. So tell me a little bit about that and how bad's that foot arthritis at the age of 59?
0: I have been having more fun running <laughs> in the last 10 years than I have had since high school. Mm. Um I think that the thick soled shoes that got to be marketed only became a thing like when I was in high school. And before that we ran in thinner, looser shoes. Um so the first time I tried running barefoot, I remember just the joy and the fun. Mm. Um now of course I actually then overdid it because you use different muscles right um i i'm that's such a big wide question i'm just not quite sure where to go for you oh
1: from here let's see uh so what surfaces do you tend to run on barefoot do you tend to stay just on grass or do you uh Do you do the barefoot running where it's literally barefoot or is it one of these shoes?
0: I'm predominantly a barefoot runner. Hmm. Um, My favorite surface is probably asphalt. Okay,
1: Um, I can see that. but,
0: But not necessarily chip seal, although... Um, with conditioning, you can get used to a lot of different surfaces, and the longer I run barefoot, the more I'm motivated to try and get conditioned to different surfaces because it just feels so much better in the running. Hmm. Um, I have said uh, sometimes I feel like I'm cheating because there's been some study that say you have uh, like 4 or 5% better energy return from your hmm. running. Um, when you're doing it barefoot now that's of course assuming that you've conditioned to it some because you could also argue that some of the studies that are done oh barefoot is it better for you blah 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 because well who do they have running barefoot how long have they run barefoot i mean there's so many other questions right it's it's like somebody who's had their arm in a cast for um 20 years and now you're gonna say well can they lift this book because obviously their arm should still be in a cast or they can't lift the book
1: hmm yeah that's an interesting analogy yeah I, I can certainly see how those uh extremely small muscles that add that uh, the support of the arch and the foot goes through a really interesting kind of rotation as it comes through the stride and then locks into place so you have a very strong lever pushing you forward mm-hmm. uh and if you if you Uh, have a weakness and atrophy those little tiny muscles i certainly can see how that would kind of affect the whole running movement
0: and beyond that it also affects you know how people walk and their knees and their spine all the way up because if you take away what the feet are supposed to be doing as far as shock absorption and balance then the rest of your body has to try and compensate for that and it wasn't designed to take that whole load in some of those other places without, it's sort of like digestion. If you don't have the chewing and you just swallow your food whole, you're not going to get as much from it and you're going to stress out the rest of your digestive system.
1: Hmm. How does your foot fall? I, I, do you do a heel strike or do you tend to lean forward and, and land full foot or, or ball of the foot? How, how does um, that just physically work?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well... Um, If you are running on surfaces that are challenging enough, and let me rephrase that. When you first asked me about running, you asked if I run on grass. Grass is probably the worst place to learn how to run barefoot Hmm. because of things that maybe you don't think about, like you can't really see the ground. Your your brain can't help you with oh it's going to dip here there's a hole here or a slight variation in rise and fall or there can be things hidden in the grass plus a little bit of hard surface helps you to work on your form so in the barefoot community a lot of times they will say if you're particularly if you're already um, a good runner um, and you're used to going faster or longer distances run on surfaces that are more rough because it will make you slow down because and will keep you from overdoing it the same way. It will teach you the form, which when you're running slower is typically just a little bit more midfoot, but really people think too hard about it. If they just slowed down and weren't worried about their speed and weren't trying to prove anything, then they could just enjoy it. And over time, You can't say how you run when you first start to run barefoot is going to be how you end up because your muscles haven't strengthened. Mm. It's like a little kid learning to walk. They don't walk the same at four as they did at two when they were first starting.
1: Right. Yeah. Uh, And that's a a great reason we all need to listen to – Grandma runs barefoot? What? what, what
0: why what, does grandma run barefoot? Why and does
1: I, grandma run barefoot?
0: Yeah, the key to, I can't remember exactly, the key to fun movement and good balance or something like that. Um, I may have sabotaged myself a little bit with the title. I was trying to go for, if grandma can do it, anybody can do it. Mm. that's that's kind of i'm hoping for some more reviews from people who say you know what i'm only 26 or i'm only 37 and i learned a lot from this book and i'm having a lot of fun running barefoot actually the gal who edited it for me is um she's around 30 and she started running barefoot after she edited it for me
1: (laughs) oh that's great yeah okay one more have you found i mean as we we age uh, there also tends to be a, a loss of the dense fat and the heel and the, uh, the ball of the foot. Uh, have you had any issues with foot pain from this? Or
0: Well, let me answer that in two ways. First of all, it's like the common question. Um, do, do people get, um, what's the, do they lose energy as they age or do they stop moving and so they lose energy? Right. Right. Um, so do people lose some of the foot pad and stuff on their feet because they're aging or because they've worn their shoes for 50 years?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm, mm, that's <laughs> made me so, think again. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, so actually, um, most of my kids do some sort of minimalist. You know, they understand that they need to let their feet be free. depends on their job. Uh, and various things like that Um, my youngest two daughters in particular well actually my youngest three run barefoot a lot and they can handle colder temperatures and harder surfaces than I can but again they grew up being taught at home where they could be barefoot most of the time we just didn't even think about it I mean who puts on their shoes to go home to school right Right. And so if they wanted to go outside, I before I understood about being barefoot, I was like, oh, don't you want to put shoes on? No, mom, I don't want to put shoes on. Well, they're just at home. So most of the time they don't have to. Um, and so I didn't get into it until, like I said, about 10 years ago. And so I almost certainly have some atrophy from simply not letting my feet develop the way they could have. But as far as physical pain from running barefoot, absolutely not in terms of that question. I mean, I have hurt myself in um, in the learning process or stepping on things. But um, as I say in my book, I would much rather suffer a flesh wound here and there than have chronic knee pain.
1: Right. Yeah, and in regards to uh, pain with running, I mean, bringing it back to Thomas Sowell, uh, you know, he's a big proponent of relative to what
0: you know, right. relative
1: to other people who continue to run when they're 59. I uh, have a clinic full of them uh, that are having some type of uh, pain or discomfort. Uh, mm. So that's uh, really interesting. Um, OK, it has been a, a delight to chat with you. Uh, and this will Likewise. be um, com episode 12. Uh, so very exciting. Let me just run through the list of all these web pages that you have: The thehappyhomeschool.com, that's mm-hmm. uh, singular, uh, funlearningchinese.com, dailyimprovisations.com, right. yes. funfitnessafter50.com, and then yeah, the audio book.
0: The, the, right. Uh,
1: anything else that you'd like to uh, talk about?
0: I have um, published three children's three. I have two more in my head, so I get confused. (laughs) Three (laughs) children's stories um, that are very family-oriented, family-friendly, treat the parents as, you know, someone to look up to and is nice to be around. And I have a book that I wrote uh, documenting my husband building a brick oven for our backyard, how to build a backyard brick oven from scratch. I've probably screwed up that title too many words um, and I wrote a, a biography of um, how when we dealt with our daughter um, melody when she died of leukemia mm.
1: oh,
0: wow! so I've, I've covered just about everything I mean I, I like to write
1: do you do you have a, a clearinghouse webpage that has all of the products that you've created
0: um, well I, I list on each of my blogs I list all of my other blogs, and I tend to list the books that have to do with that particular audience as I see it.
1: Okay. Um, All right. So they can just get on one of them and.
0: Oh, well, I do have be- an Amazon page. I have an Amazon author page.
1: Okay. And they just look up Laura Blodgett. Any middle yep. initial? Or-
0: okay. Nope.
1: B L O D G E T T. Yes. Laura it's been a delight. Thank you very much for your time. Thank uh, you for having me. And, uh, you take care.
0: All right. Bye. Has been
1: uh, honoring Ron Paul episode 12.